Welcome back. Holla. Why can't I hear myself? What's going on? Hello? Can you hear me? All right. Listen, in, in uh, holy mess fashion, uh, pure holy mess fashion, I am recording this episode right outside of pretty serious construction going on in my door. Uh, not in my door. There's not people like in the door that that would be, they'd be tiny. So, um, but this is going to be a very short intro because all I want to say is two things. One, as of this morning, uh, before we're releasing this episode, uh, my podcast, this podcast, A Holy Mess with His Holy Mess, Father Paul, uh, just reached 10,000 downloads. And for me, I mean, I know that's like, you know, chump change, that's peanuts to many other podcasts. Uh, some of my friends that are podcasts have uh, 10,000 downloads per episode. Um, I have 29 episodes and I have a total of 10,000 downloads. But for me, that's a milestone. So I want to say thank you. Thank you very much. And just all I ask is that you please pray and support. Pray, 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 and share, share, share the episode. Share the episode with others. Not the episode, the podcast as a whole. Please share the podcast with others and pray. Pray that I stay out of God's way. It all be about him. The second thing I want to say, which you're, you're going to hear me say a million times in the actual interview itself with Jason Everett on this episode, is that um, this is like the most probably important episode and topic that I've ever covered in any of my episodes. So please give this episode a listen and share, share, share from, uh, from the beginning to the end. Stay with us. Trust me. Um, let other people know about it. He, he goes about this topic in such a loving, caring, pastoral way. This is not a condemnation episode a judgment episode on those who uh, struggle with gender dysphoria uh, and, you know, the LGBTQ transgender uh, movement. Uh, th this is a pastoral approach, okay? So uh, God bless you. Share the episode. Thank you for 10,000 10, downloads. Share the podcast as a whole. Love you. Uh, keep, me, keep us in your prayers. Peace. All right, welcome back, Holy Messes, to another episode of A Holy Mess with His Holy Mess, Father Paul. Uh, this is episode 30, I believe, so thanks for hanging in there with me. And today we have a very special guest. I've been blessed, we've been blessed, this podcast has been blessed, I have a lot of great guests. Uh, some of them I, I know previously, some of them I have not. I have known of my next guest uh, for a long time, probably since my senior year of high school, known of him, but this is the first time we actually ever met. Um, so it is uh, my honor uh, to welcome to a Holy Mess podcast, Jason Everett. Welcome to the show. Well, Father, thank you for having me on. Thank you. And thanks for having a professional mic because some, sometimes <laughs> people don't and the audio is not as good, you know? Always helps. Yeah, Absolutely. And um, so I, I saw a couple weeks ago that uh, you posted about uh, this new book that you have out. You've been an author of, uh, of so many books. How many books do you have? I think 17-ish. 17-ish. Did it all start with uh, that little pamphlet? Like yeah, 20? Pure Love was the first one. Pure Love, right? Yeah, I remember. Yeah. So for those that don't, most people that are watching this, I mean, I don't have a lot of listeners or followers, um, but uh, most people, I'm assuming already know who you are but but it, but there are some people that listen that that they tell me hey i like the podcast but i i don't go to church or i don't practice my faith 
So uh, not that I'm going to do a great job of introducing you, and I don't have your bio in front of me because this truly is a holy mess. Um, but uh, I was first introduced to Jason Everett and his work when I was literally a 17-year-old kid. Uh, I started getting involved going to the, the Wednesday night prayer group at, um, at uh, Paramus Catholic High School uh, back in the year 2000. And I think it was, uh, do you know a guy named Justin Fatika? Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. have, you, yeah have, you, have you heard of Justin? Okay, so yeah, I think yeah. it was him. I think he gave me this little booklet called Pure oh, Love. Okay. You know, and he would, like, get in our face and challenge us about, like, you know, getting chased. Yeah, exactly, you know. Uh, he ended up becoming one of my best friends in the whole world. Yeah. Uh, but back then, you know, he was just a, a junior. Uh, a junior, I, I call him a junior uh, in college. He was just a punk walking around the halls trying to bring people to Christ. Yeah. But one of the things that he did, he let everybody know about the theology of the body, and, and he let us know about you. And... Um, over the course of the years, I've had the honor to read several of your books um, and to see you uh, live at different conferences. So it really means a big deal for me. Uh, and you and your wife together um, mm -hmm. run ChastityProject.com. Is there anything that you should tell the audience about you that I'm leaving out? Because I'm sure there's a lot. Yeah, I mean, we run the website uh, chastity.com, which is the homepage of our ministry, Chastity Project. Uh, we've got eight little kiddos, and we've been doing this for about 25 years, romping around uh, the globe, kind of teaching God's plan for human sexuality, theology of the body. Yeah, and you also did the, uh, you were the first one to do theology of the body for teens, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah that, that is powerful. So we'll talk about that another time. I saw Jason a couple weeks ago on Twitter say that he wants to get, I think you said like 5,000 copies to every Catholic high school in the United States of America. Is that, is that what I read of your new yeah, book? What we, what we did is we wanted to send a copy of the book to every single Catholic high school theology chair, every single bishop, uh, every single college campus minister in America. And to do all that would cost about $20,000 to do that mailing. And uh, I said, let's try to get this raised by Holy Thursday. And man, people jumped on it. And um, we raised that in a matter of like three days. And so we're shipping all those things out right now. And then uh, someone said, dude, you got what's the next phase? I'm like, well, we wanted to send it to every priest in America and every elementary school principal, but that's going to be like $70,000. And one guy was like, do it. I'll donate. So uh, phase two will probably be coming soon. We just want to get this out there, kind of like arms dealers. We just want to put the ammo out there and put it in the hands of the priests, of the teachers, of the parents, because, you know, when you were in seminary, they didn't say, OK, now we're going to talk about how to pastorally helps parishioners who identify as non-binary. It's like like that wasn't even on the radar. And now you all got your all parishes and young people wrestling with gender dysphoria. Um, but no one's really received training and what these words mean and how to accompany these people in these struggles. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, I saw that post and I, I messaged you said, Hey, would you like to come on the podcast to talk about the book? You very graciously. Yes. Right away. And then I, I got a copy and I'm not, I'm not going to say this to try to blow smoke up anything. Uh, first of all, just to be honest with you, like I'm not a big reader. I'm not, I'd rather listen. I wa I'd rather watch the movie. Okay. Like I'm not a huge reader. And I read this book from beginning to end, and um, I, I think I posted about it yesterday. I posted on my social media. This is probably, one, if not the, one of the most important books that I've ever read in my life. Wow. And I, I wish I had 100,000 followers because I would tell every, like everybody right now, this book, Male, Female, Other, A Catholic Guide to Understanding Gender by Jason Everett. I, I, I'll, and I'll donate. I'll do whatever I can to, you know, the... I don't know, I think I have like an average of 400 listeners each uh, episode. Like this book is, it is a must read. Like it is a, it might be the most important book 
in the world. Uh, so I hope this is being translated. Is this being translated in other languages? Uh, we're getting some requests. We're starting to move forward with that now. Mm -hmm. Dude, I mean, I, excuse me for calling you dude, but uh, <laughs> I'm not very I'm from San Diego, so all right, it's all good. All right. I'm not very professional. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, like, thank you for writing this. Thank You're you welcome. for writing this book. Because it's not, and it's almost like, not a misnomer, like, because it's a Catholic guide to understanding gender. There's so much more stuff than Catholic stuff mm -hmm. in here. Catholic guide. I mean, there's like history and science and like endocrinology and, you know, like, and I'm like, oh my God, like, this guy's like getting in it. You know, I had to like, and it was, and it was a very, and I don't mean difficult in terms of like the way you wrote it. It was a difficult book for me to read in the sense of like, I had no idea of some of like, thank you for, for exposing or for revealing or mm -hmm. reminding people of some of the stuff of things that have happened in our country, in other countries. Um, I just want to say thank you. Like, I'm not just yeah. saying this because I'm like, oh, my fan of yours. Like, no, thank you. This is, I would do anything that I can to support this book um, and to get the word out there as much as possible. So, I guess in a nutshell, uh, as everybody knows on this show, I never went to broadcasting school. I don't have a media course. I'm just a priest who wanted to start a podcast. Um, so my interviewing skills, I'm still growing on them. But uh, obviously, you're, you know, your chastity project, you write about the theology of the body and John Paul II. Uh, by the way, your book on John Paul II, the great, one of my, the favorite, my favorite books that I've ever read. But um, what made you in particular, like, why now? Why did you write this uh, book? What, and um, yeah, we'll start there. Yeah, they say, what is it? Necessity is the mother of invention. And so with each of the books that we've kind of created, uh, created them because it just seemed like, well, there wasn't the resource out there that I thought that needed to be out there on that subject. And so in all my travels, I meet like 100,000 kids a year traveling different high schools, universities, junior highs. The kids would come up to me after the talk and they'd say, hey, you know, I'm trans. You know, what does God think about this? And, you know, we'd start talking about it. They'd start sharing their family experiences and the struggles they've been through. And I realized, and then the parents come to me, you know, I've got a daughter who wants to get top surgery or my son wants to get, you know, uh, you know, this part of his body removed or that, like, what do we do? What do we say? Or my niece wants to be my nephew and my boss wants me to use their preferred pronoun. Like what the heck do we do? And so it just felt like it was long overdue. So I figured, okay, I'm going to read maybe 15 books or so on the subject. I'll combine that with my pastoral, you know, experiences and write the book. And I, finished those 15 books. And I thought, man, I haven't even scratched the surface on this thing. I need to read five more books on endocrinology. I need to read six more books on anthropology, philosophy, feminism, Marxism, this and that, because I just felt like at the end of the day, man is just a mystery. And there, there's so many facets of the subject. You can't be really deficient in any area because people are going to ask, well, what about intersex conditions? And, and what about cross-sex hormones? And what about the suicide thing? And what about this? And what about that? So I thought, okay, I'm just going to spend a couple of years reading, reading tens of thousands of pages of research and just do all the hard work so we can put it between two covers and then give to the church. And then they could use that, uh, whether or not they're the teacher, whether they're the parent, or whether they're the person wrestling with gender dysphoria. You know, what is God's plan for me that this is a resource that could be given to all of them? And then when I finished writing it, I sent it off to all the experts, whether it's doctors of pediatric medicine and psychology and theology and psychology, uh, but even a couple people who identified as trans. And I said, hey, you know, could you read through this and let me know where this lands on your heart and how I could nuance things a little bit more delicately and honestly, but at the same time, charitably, uh, how's that landing on your heart? And so I got all that feedback back, which is tremendously helpful, and then just released it, you know, a couple months ago. 
Yeah, well, thank you for that. And you know, one one of the things that I I, I love about your approach um, in this book, and I uh, also listened uh, to the entire two and a half hour interview that you did with Matt Fratt about mm-hmm. this book and this topic, is um, you're extremely pastoral. Okay, and uh, for those that don't know what I'm talk- mean by that, like there's a lot of people, a lot of Catholics, devout Catholics that are online that are that they may be speaking truth, but like they're very they're not going to win anybody over like they're mm-hmm. they're, they're just like, oh, look at this mental illness. You know, yeah. look at these. This is you know, this is ridiculous. This is psychotic. These people need to be put on medication or locked away. And yeah. Like your your approach, I don't want to speak for you, but from what I read and 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 listening to interviews, is like, like no, we we need to walk with these people. Mm-hmm. We need to meet them where we are. And one of the things that I love that you said that that really challenged me because sometimes I can be the truth guy. Like sometimes yeah. I could be more truth than than and truth and charity always have to go together, right? Charity can't be without truth. Truth can't be without charity. But sometimes I lack the charity and I go with the truth and that, that doesn't help. This, you have challenged me uh, also um, to do something that I'm already supposed to do because, you know, you said like, all right, this whole pronoun thing, this language, there's all these letters and different words and you might be saying, like, that's ridiculous. I, I, I don't need to know about that. I, that's this is crazy. And you said, well, what if like, you know, somebody is dating some, uh, like a boy is dating a, a woman from Russia and you know, in order to get to know her better, he learns the language because he wants to be able to talk to her. And you're saying, out of love, we should at least learn the language so we could journey and walk with these people. So where did that come from? Yeah, well, I mean, you don't need to have Russian citizenship. You don't need to go all all the way on board, make it your first language. But if you want to connect with somebody, you've got to understand, okay, well, this is uh, evidently very important to them. And especially on the topic of gender, it's so easy to speak past each other because like the word itself, gender, is completely unhelpful. It's an extremely confusing word that means so many different things because you could say, oh, well, what's your gender? What what do you mean by that? Do you mean, um, you know, what biological sex I am? Do you mean how I identify, how masculine, feminine I feel? Are you talking about gender roles? Like, what what are we talking about here? And so the word is simultaneously being used in many different definitions at the same time in culture. Like, you have a gender reveal party. What is that? That's the biological sex. Okay, but then on my college application, it said pick your gender, and there's 18 of them. That's obviously not biological sex. Then what is that? And so if we're going to have a fruitful dialogue and exchange with people that are kind of in the trans community or experience gender dysphoria, uh, we got to learn what they're talking about. And if we don't know what that means, and a lot of people don't, well, ask. I, I don't understand what that means, that, that term that you said. Can you explain that to me so we can, I can have a better understanding? And unfortunately, you don't see many examples of this on social media because they say in journalism school, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. In other words, you know, we want to see the just the fiery debate of screaming back and forth insults between conservatives and liberals. But like that's not where conversion happens. I mean, where conversion happens is in the context of friendship. John Paul II said that God uses human friendships to lead hearts to the source of divine charity. In other words, and instead of just speaking first, I think our first posture here needs to be to listen. Listen to this gender dysphoria with kind of a reverent curiosity. Okay, what, what is this saying? You know, what, what, is there a trauma that's underneath there that's it's crying out for resolution? Is there a, a struggle the person's going through and they're dissociating from their body as a trauma response? Like, there's so much that could be potentially going on. And if all we're going to do is say, well, it's either XX or XY chromosome, that's all there is to it. 
that, that's going nowhere. I mean, and, and I think people who take that approach clearly don't have enough friends in the trans community. They clearly don't have enough friends who experience gender dysphoria or let alone family members that they've, that are in their life that aren't going anywhere. And that you've got to realize, okay, just winning a debate is, is not going to get us anywhere. I've got to walk with this person, share ideas, lovingly challenge each other and see where it goes from there. So what's the middle path, right? Because, you know, uh, often we hear, oh, this is between the, the left and the right, between liberals and conservatives, yeah. um, it, whether it's politically or within the church. Now, obviously, right, we don't want to, we're Catholic, we believe that God created male and female, he created them, right? So we believe in the truth, right? So we have truth here, and then we have what some people say, you know, the charity is the affirming of, of not challenging them, accepting. What's the middle path where we can, proclaim the truth but with such great love that you know um that they're not going to go away because we have some in the church that are just saying no no no, we have to embrace this like yeah. you know and um I, I mean let's just be honest it was talked about in the matt frad episode um like with father james martin he mm -hmm. had that book um build a bridge yeah. but you said something about that that was so interesting can you say what you said about that he's not building yeah, what, what my argument is that he's not building a bridge, he's building a dock. You know, a dock is a half-constructed bridge that leads people out in the water and then just dumps them, doesn't get them across the, the, the water. And in a sense, it's almost like when Christ encounters the woman caught in adultery, you know, what does he say to her? He said, does no one condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. Is that the end of the chapter? No. Now go and sin no more. And so he's giving her a welcoming message and then calling her toward conversion. And so the fault that I have with a lot of the James Martin ministry style is it's like, all are welcome, all are welcome, all are welcome. Okay, welcome to what? Welcome to repent and believe in the gospel. You know, and so we've got to give them both pieces of that. And, and in a sense, when it comes to gender dysphoria, the metaphor I like to use is kind of hold on to their hand and then hold on to reality with the other hand and don't let go of either hand. And so we're walking together in this because this is not a left versus right thing at all. I mean, there are people left wing, you know, Democrat, pro-choice, you name it. They'd say this is absolute child abuse. There are people in the trans community calling it child abuse, saying these kids should not be getting pushed through these transitions. This is just a woke ideology. I mean, this is not a left versus right issue as much as some people want to paint it as if you're not in favor of all this, you're just some right-wing transphobic bigot. No, I mean, the, the lady, there's a woman named Dr. Lisa Littman. I mean, worked for Planned Parenthood, left-leaning Democrat, um, came out with a study where she said what she's noticing is something called rapid onset gender dysphoria, where there's these adolescent girls that have these common things that I'm noticing. And she said, well, they're, they're spending massive amounts of time on social media. Oftentimes they have autism or other personality disorders. Uh, they tend to be a little socially reclusive, come from progressive families, and then have a, a group of friends at school where one comes out as trans and the next one's non-binary and the next one's trans. And before you know it, there's six or seven on the public school campus. There's a social contagion piece of this. And she pointed this out, which is extremely obvious when you look at the literature, and she just got crucified for it. You know, this is not a conservative Catholic or Christian human being. It's just someone concerned about kids looking at the data and saying something's in the water, something is going on, and this is not just a United States thing, it's globally. But the, the, the problem is U.S. is moving kind of pedal to the metal forward on this, 
but the countries that started this over in Netherlands, Scandinavian countries, they're changing course right now. The biggest gender clinic in the United Kingdom was just shut down this spring, and they're fracturing it into smaller regional clinics with a greater emphasis on mental health. And I'm, I'm reading a book on it right now. I just got it in the mail from Amazon called Time to Think. It's about 400 pages detailing the collapse of the Tavistock Clinic, of how they hid the research that they found for more than 10 years where they're putting these kids on puberty blockers and then they're more likely to self-harm afterwards. That they did like an audit of 124 of the kids coming to transition. And what they found, 97% of them had coexisting mental health problems in their life. 97.5% of them. And all this stuff just kind of got buried until some whistleblowers found it and said, what the heck are you guys doing? You guys aren't solving a problem. You're creating the problem with your so-called solution. So... <laughs> You, you just brought something up that, that triggered me from the book because I, I, I could, last week I interviewed, I haven't released the episode yet. In fact, this episode will come out first, but I interviewed Abby Johnson last week. And one of the things that I said to her, which I'm going to say to you, but talking about a different topic is I like, I can't believe that like very bright, brilliant Ivy league school people are like completely okay with this and co-signing this. And mm -hmm. what, what really got me in your book here is how it's it appears that some people in the medical community like in they're just completely ignoring what might be some underlying factors such as maybe the the the, the person was was uh, abused as a child maybe they were raped maybe they were beaten and and they were bullied like there's you give so many amazing different uh, examples and reasons of like what might be some psychological you know, issues or, or past stuff. But for whatever reason, like there are medical doctors that they're not even considering this. So yeah. my question to you is why, why, and I don't know if you'll have the answer, but why is that almost not as a whole, but they're just like, yeah, oh, you know what? You, you feel like you're a woman or you feel like you're a boy. You, you should take hormones and have, uh, have surgery. Like why, why is the medical community just going so is, is it the money? What, what is it? Why is that? Yeah, I mean, within a couple of years, this will be a multi-billion dollar industry. And so big pharma is without a doubt involved in this because Planned Parenthood is diving head over heels into the puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. Because, I mean, you get somebody to transition, you got a pharmaceutical patient for life. Because if you go off the testosterone, it's three weeks, your body just wants to go right back to the way it originally was. So if you want to keep up the masculinized look, you have to keep pumping yourself full of the testosterone or the estrogen or whatever. And so there's a lot of money to be found there uh, in terms of the operations. I mean, it's an absolute cash cow. I mean, some of these cost upwards $40,000, $50,000 a procedure. I mean, the top surgeries, about $10,000 a piece on these things. And so this is a, a major source of income and revenue. Now, for, for not a lot of the doctors, I think are necessarily like, okay, well, I just want to make money off of these people. I think they've just bought off on some bad science of just like, oh, well, I heard it said that if we don't help these kids transition, then they're going to commit suicide and we don't want that to happen. And so, you know, we'll make these procedures available, but it's really only a matter of time. I mean, the lawsuits over in Tavistock, there's now, I heard today, 
more than a thousand pending lawsuits against one gender clinic in the United Kingdom alone. I mean, there is a litigation tsunami that is coming. I read one plastic surgeon. He said entire medical institutions will be bankrupted over this controversy before it's all said and done. You just wait and see. And so it's the detransitioners that I think that are going to lead the way. If you go to reddit.com, there's 46,000 people on Reddit uh, as part of the detrans community there. And these people are starting websites and blogs and podcasts and lawsuits and uh, they, their voices need to be put out there. I mean, you could get on YouTube and watch uh, Jordan Peterson's interview with Chloe Cole. Uh, this is a, like a 20 year old girl who went through the puberty blockers, the cross sex hormones, the double mastectomy. And it's heartbreaking to see her like literally in tears, you know, realizing like she'll never be able to breastfeed her kids if she's even able to have them. You know, and just the suffering she's going through, the urinary tract infection, you know, the, the loss of sensation in her chest after the surgeries, like just the suffering, they never let her know that was going to happen. And so she's suing as well that, that she didn't have informed consent to some 16 or 18 year old girl for these lifelong consequences. And so, yeah, it's, it's absolutely, I mean, it is, it, you got to use for, it is butchery, it's child abuse. And I know these are strong words, but this is reality. And the, and the more people hear it, they can be woken up out of their stupor of what's going on here with 12 year old girls in Oakland getting double mastectomies, 13-year-old girls in Los Angeles hospital getting double mastectomies. You can get one at the age of 15 in Oregon without your parents' permission. And so these young people need the church to stand up and speak and not be afraid to, to share the stuff on your social media pages and say, hey, watch this. And yeah, you might get a little backlash from it, but I think especially people in the trans community, if, if you present these things, they might resent you now. But I think if we don't speak the truth in love, they're going to resent us a heck of a lot more a decade from now when the dust kind of settles and they'll wonder, where were you trying to gently dissuade me from this? You were, you were just patting me along, telling me, you do you. They deserve better than that. Can you please tell the story of the one patient who called and left the voicemail and recorded it or a conversation to her therapist. Because yeah. the, the thing that I'm getting to people is that, that he gives many, Jason gives many examples uh, in this book of detransitioners that are people that have transitioned to being, uh, I don't want to say the wrong word, but a different sex, uh, or now detransitioning, that they're like upset now and saying, well, wh like, where were you? Like, why, why, yeah. why did you let me do this? So can yeah. you speak to that? that? That one story was powerful. Yeah, I mean, upset is an understatement. I mean, absolute furious uh, that you can find this audio. It's on YouTube. I've heard it before where this person recorded themselves calling their therapist and talking to her of, of just grilling her of like, did you study like the long-term side effects of this stuff? The, the psychological well-being of these people after these surgeries, after the hormones? No. Well, did you do this? No what were you doing? And he starts screaming and crying. Like you let me dance in my delusion. And the person had nothing to say of just like, well, I was trained that we just are supposed to help you transition and let you be your authentic self, just kind of towing the party line. And so, so many of these people in the mental health field have been trained that no, no, this is the best thing you can do. I mean, when you get the president of the United States saying parents, the best thing you can do for the well-being of your child is to affirm their gender identity. I mean, this is coming top down. And so there needs to be a grassroots effort of physicians and mental health professionals saying, no, look at the data. I mean, the data is clear on this. It's not like we had this huge body of young adults 
adults and teenagers committing suicide until puberty blockers were invented. And then when puberty blockers came out, the suicide rate just tanked, kind of like when the polio vaccine came and the disease rates dropped. That never happened. Like that's completely fabricated history. You follow the suicide rates and they go up after the surgery. For the girls who transition to boy, 40% more likely to commit suicide within 10 years after the operation. It's because we're collaborating with mental illness instead of actually treating it. Collaborate. So the fruit, the, 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 you shall know them by your fruits, right? The fruit of transitioning, the fruit of these uh, gender changing surgeries, it, it's actually not good. Things get worse. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, because it's, in effect, what you're doing is you're distracting them from issues that actually need clinical intervention. That, okay, you were sexually abused as a kid, or you have autism. I mean, 42% of people who identify as trans meet the criterion for an autism diagnosis, or you've got this trauma, or you've got this, or you've got that, anxiety, depression, all these things. It's, you know, Walt Heyer is a guy who detransitioned. He identified as Laura Jensen as a while, had all the surgeries done, lived as a woman, left his marriage, um, and then detransitioned and then met a good psychologist. And the psychologist explained to him, uh, you have dissociative disorder. The trauma that you suffered as a kid caused a split in your personality as a survival mechanism of not knowing how to handle that trauma as a young person. And you split into this different identity as kind of a refuge from that suffering. And he said, Everything finally made sense. And he said, when I went through the transition, he said it was a wonderful distraction for a while. But when it was all said and done, all the problems were still there and more. Uh, unbelievable. And, and some of these, I don't want to, you know, this episode just for me to knock, you know, the medical field. I love the medical field. They've done, you know, so much for me. But there's certain things, I mean, that, that Dr. John Money, is that how you say it? Dr. John Money? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was one of the most horrifying things I've ever read in my life. And the fact that there was so much so much lying, so so yeah. much lying, and and not to go crazy. I mean, you could read about him in this book, but just to learn about like the history of where this all came from, and yeah. how this was in the United States, and what you know, and and it, just because like you know, because some people are like, oh well, you know, it's medicine, like it's doctors, it, it must be true. It's like, well, no, some people they cover up the research, they they actually mm -hmm. lie to the public, mm -hmm. they lie to the public, but yeah. with with the time that we do have remaining, I want to uh, focus on a couple things, and um, one is. Uh, I want to talk about, you have a beautiful thing at the end here in the chapter, uh, second to last chapter about parents and then mm. also for youth ministers and the church and things like that. Because I know parents, they're scared, like they, they believe what we believe, but they're, they're intimidated, they're frightened, they, they don't know what to do. So mm. is there anything that can you that you could speak to, to parents on how could they, you know, be there for their child and at the same time, in the truth of, of, of God's word. Yeah. Well, one, th one word to the parents is take care of yourself in the midst of this, because it's, it's truly traumatic for the parents to go through this. And they often get overlooked in their suffering of like, wait a minute, I had always dreamed of my son and getting married and then had them having grandkids. And now my son wants to transition to a woman and sterilize himself. And I won't even have my son in a sense anymore. And I won't have my grandkids. Like there's so much loss of, of dreams and hopes and sufferings of the parents. And it oftentimes gets eclipsed because, well, no, the kid wants this and then that's going to save his life. And so the parents need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself, that you've got a good support community, whether it's prayer, exercise, getting enough sleep, rest, fellowship, 
this could be a bit of a marathon. And so make sure you're taking care of yourself in the midst of this. Um, also, don't try not to freak out because this could be a marathon. And so it's not a matter of like winning the first debate. But uh, one of the greatest predictors of the well-being of young people who identify as trans is the quality of the relationship they have with their parents. And so as much as you can to try to preserve that relationship, and it doesn't mean, okay, well, I'll just go along with whatever you want. You want me to call you this and buy you a binder and get you puberty blockers? Well, hey, I'll, I'll do whatever you want as long as you don't distance yourself from me. No, there needs to be some tough love there, but there needs to be a little bit of give and take as well. Like, okay, well, I'm not gonna force my daughter to wear a pink frilly dress to church on Sunday, if she really feels dysphoric about those kinds of outfits, you know, maybe we can find something that's a little bit more accommodating for her without me necessarily needing to buy off on all these puberty blockers and all the other stuff. Maybe there's a, a middle ground. Maybe if it's really distressing for her to have me refer to her as she, maybe we can kind of just avoid the pronouns for a little bit right now. I'm not going to go on, all on board, call you he, but uh, let's avoid that if that's a source of, of, of distress for you and try to help them to see that, hey, I know this is really important to you. I know this is very difficult. And it was probably hard for you to tell me that you struggle with these things because you're afraid that I'd maybe make fun of you or just say, oh, it's just a phase, get over it. Um, tell me more. You know, when did this start happening? And, and, and what does it feel like when these things come to the surface? And you know, really start listening and then think, okay, I think we need to unplug this kid from social media a little bit more. Uh, maybe we need to get him off TikTok and out going for a hike with dad and you know, maybe we need, need, need to switch schools, get them in a new social surrounding. Um, it's going to be a bit of a marathon. So to, to find resources um, as a parent, we have a website called chastity.com. So if you go to chastity.com slash gender, that's where we house all the different links that we find of whether it's just podcast or, or legal organizations that support the parental rights when it comes to these things, parent networking organizations, because there's so many good parent groups online that are like, all the parents are going through this with gender dysphoric kids and like, okay, what tools are out there for communication to, to help keep that line of communication open between you and your kid so they don't run off and try to get you to lose custody of them so the state can pay for their transition surgeries. It's a lot of scary stuff. I mean, I know of one mom, the girl had depression, anxiety, a lot of mental health issues. And, uh, you know, the girl discovered some, you know, trans identified friends at school and the counselor like, well, you know, maybe you're trans as well. And so she started identifying as a boy and the mom was trying to, you know, <laughs> try to get her away from this kind of stuff. And she eventually, the school said, look, if you can get your mom to lose custody of you, then the state of California has to pay for your transition and your testosterone and everything else. And the girl thought great. And the girl got the mom to lose custody. And the mom was just crying and begging the attorneys and saying, look, my daughter has severe mental health issues. Like she doesn't need testosterone. She needs counseling. She needs therapy. And, you know, the, the, the girl left and then, you know, one day the mother felt there's this pit in her of just like something's wrong. And she started calling all around, like, where's my daughter? And, uh, the police finally came to the door that they found her body on train tracks in Los Angeles. She had knelt in front of a train and it had hit her and taken her life. And so this mother shares this heartbreaking story. You can find it on YouTube. She presented at the heritage foundation that, that she had, her daughter had these legitimate mental health issues. But the trans ideology was like, oh, no, that, that's not really the issue. The issue is you're trans and that it's your transphobic mom trying to stop your transition. And that's what the problem is. It's like, no, this is not the best, best standard of care for young people who are wrestling with this. And so as parents, I understand it can be extremely scary and heartbreaking. But find your support groups.
like I said, hold on to your kid's hand, hold on to reality and don't let go of either one. What about, can they, can they say something like, cause I know so much, I, I was over, you know, the big house with a lot of young parents, uh, right after Christmas. And I mean, they they believe everything that you and I do, what exactly what you're talking about. And yet terrified to speak up to the school system or the town. Is there anything that we could say to that at all? You better run for the school board. <laughs> you better get on the school district meetings. You better be showing up at those things with a megaphone and letting you, because most parents are on board with this, but they're just afraid. Well, I don't want to be, you know, the freak, you know, that gets up at one of these parent teacher organizations. It's like, dude, all, all, what do they say? All that needs to happen for evil to thrive is for good people to do nothing. Yeah, I And know, so I know. nowhere is that more true than in the public school system. I mean, these schools, many of them are just being run by these folks. I mean, you look at what's happened in the... Massachusetts, I'm going there this weekend, they mandated these transgender ideology books to be read to 480,000 of the kids starting in age four. This pre-kindergarten, they're reading these books to the girls and the boys of like, well, you know, sometimes when a baby is born, mom and dad and the doctor say it's a boy or girl. But if the baby grows up to be transgender, the moms and dads and the adults and the doctors were wrong. They're reading this like four-year-old kids in Boston. And it's like, in adolescence and childhood, it's such a time of discovery and confusion. And when you've got your adult, that teacher that you love, telling you that there's all kinds of different genders and just because you have these parts doesn't mean that you're a boy or a girl, my goodness. I mean, this is just pouring lighter fluid on this fire of mental illness. And so parents have a moral and ethical obligation to speak up. Pastors need to be speaking boldly from the pulpits on these things uh, because too many people are cowards and they're afraid to. So we've got to, for love of the people and the young people to speak up on this and be bold and clear. And even, I hate to say it, but there, many clergy are afraid to speak up too. A lot of clergy are afraid that, you know, but I, yeah. I won't, won't get into that. Uh, well, <laughs> So, and I realized, I said, hey, you know, I talked to the parents, but I realized maybe I started with the wrong people because, you know, what can we say lovingly? What can you say? And you do it so great in the book, but in the, uh, summarizing it here in this interview, to the person, to the, the yeah. man or woman, the boy or the girl who truly is struggling with gender dysphoria, um, yeah. wh what could we say to them? If you had just a, a couple well, moments, what would you say to them? Well, one is that God sees you and he knows that this isn't a choice that you're not choosing to feel these things, you're not choosing to struggle through these things, and that you're not a walking abomination to God because you wrestle with these things, that he alone knows, I mean, really only he knows. I mean, your parents don't know, your friends don't know. It's only God that knows all of our suffering. When it's just you and him at night, and you're wetting your pillow with tears, he's the only one who understands that ache, and, and he loves you through that. And so to understand that you don't have to get all perfect and you're welcome here in church. Like just get over that dysphoria thing, then God will make you a saint. It's like, no, 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 let God meet you in that wound. Let God meet you in that and understand that if he could say anything to you, I think what he would say is that he loves you and that you were not born into the wrong body. You were born into the wrong culture, a culture that's telling you, you might have to hurt your body in order to be your authentic self. It's not your body that needs to be reconstructed. It's our culture that needs to be reconstructed and that God has created you for such a time as this to participate with God in the reconstruction of this culture, breaking these overly rigid gender stereotypes that if you're into, you know, theater and poetry and art, well, you can't be a guy. Oh, great. There goes Pope John Paul II. I mean, he was into all these things. Well, you can't be into leadership. Okay. Well, Joan of Arc, I guess 
were you born in the wrong body? Like we, we need to broaden our understanding instead of having these rigid gender stereotypes that cause a lot of questioning because these rigid gender stereotypes, when we can't fit into them, the solution is not to eliminate gender distinctions or to change one's gender identity, uh, but to avoid the overaccentuations of it. And I, I point out that I had lunch once with a nun, uh, Sister Deidre Burns. She's a nun, she's a doctor, she's a surgeon, and she's a colonel in the United, in the United States Army. And I was like, do you not feel like being an astronaut because you're lazy, like you know, <laughs> hogging all the vocations yourself? But she wasn't doing these things instead of motherhood. She was mothering through these things. Yeah, yeah. And thank God she didn't grow up in a culture that told her, well, if you're into all that you know, stuff, then you know, maybe you have a male identity. No, let, let's listen to that dysphoria and help them understand that God loves you and he did not make a mistake when he created you. And, and, and try to if you're struggling with gender dysphoria, spend some time just listening to the testimonies of detransitioners. I think you'll find a lot of common threads in what they went through and how the solution they were offered by gender theory only created new problems. Jason, you speak to uh, millions of, of, of youth. I see your posts. I mean, you're all over the country, all over the world speaking. Would you, would you say primarily your ministry is to teenagers? Yeah, teenagers and college students primarily. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, I mean, what, every continent you've been on, right? Uh, I have not gotten to Antarctica. They're still holding <laughs> out on us. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. I don't even know. Are there schools in there? I literally have no yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah. No, they, they use our theology of the body curriculum at the military base in Antarctica. Really? I, have, I haven't been there in person yet. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, you, I mean, you, I don't know of anyone who talks to more teenagers than you do. Why, why now? What's going on? Where is this coming from? Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, the analogy I gave on Matt Frad's show is it's almost like you've got this flooded river and it's like, okay, where's this flood coming from? Is it a broken dam? Well, it could be. Is it melting snow caps? Is it, you know, springs burst underwater? Is it, is it a bunch of rainfall? Like it could be all these sources. And so if we want to understand this, there really are all these different sources. Got you can it. look at it from the history of medicine, philosophy, Marxism, second wave feminism. You could look at it from medicine and Dr. John Money and the influence there and Kinsey. You could look at that. You could look at social media that these rates basically skyrocketed when Instagram came into existence. That's when this thing went through the roof. And so you've got the social media piece in terms of the social contagion element of it. You've got how pornography fuels a lot of this stuff, not only in terms of people looking at porn and then discovering transgender genres of porn and then getting pulled into that, but just the pornification of women that's causing many young adolescent girls to be like, no thanks. If that's what a woman is and is expected to do, I am asexual or I am non-binary. They, they surveyed a lot of the girls who were transitioning and identifying as non-binary. And uh, like a majority of them actually said they were doing so to be avoid being viewed as some type of sexual object. And so there's so many different factors that play into this tsunami that's hitting our shores right now. But um, you know, the more we can study it and research it, then the more I think that should lead us not just have good answers, but to have compassion on the people going through this. I mean, you, you read of people that have these surgeries and it, it's harrowing to listen to what they're putting their bodies through in terms of using parts of their intestines to fashion new genitals and, you know, cutting sleeves of skin off from their entire forearm or their thigh. And it's just like, what would prompt somebody to go to such painful lengths in order to feel at home in their body? Like, what's the story there? And so I think we need to be motivated by compassion instead of being like, oh, there's a bunch of masochistic, sadistic, crazy nuts. Like, that's not the right attitude. We have to have mercy. 
Yeah. Uh, would that go along the line of um, of you saying something in the the Matt Fred interview about like uh, like Matt Walsh, for example, like his approach, like good but not enough. Right. Yeah, and, and Matt's approach, I think, is needed. You think of it as like a big big battle, a culture war we're facing. Uh, there's medics that are going to be in need, need to be on the field. You know, Matt Matt Walsh's role is not to be the medic. Um, his his role is, isn't necessarily to be the boots on the ground. I mean, what Matt Walsh did with the What is a Woman documentary, that was air support. That was like a bunker-busting bomb that was dropped on gender ideology and just boom, just blew the thing up and woke up a lot of people out of their stupor. And so he's looking at like, look, we need to seriously debunk this ideology, not instead of love, but for love. I mean, he's a Catholic dad and a husband. He's doing this because of love. He's not doing it because he hates trans people. And no, he's doing this because somebody needs to speak up. And so his role is essential. And so it's real easy to play Monday morning quarterback and be like, I would have fixed this and I would have changed that. And I would have done that differently. Everybody's got their whole role to play. And so I think there's a proper place for what is a woman show that in the theology classrooms to the seniors and juniors show it to the college students on campus and have them have a lively debate over the whole thing. Show it to parents and medical professionals. Like they need to be woken up to what is at stake here. But that's not the end. I mean, we need good counselors. We need courageous endocrinologists. We need good high school teachers willing to lose their job to tell the truth to the kids. So everybody's got the role that they need to play. All right. So we spoke to the parents. We spoke to uh, the, 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 the people themselves. Um, before we end, uh, what can you say to the church, to the youth minister that's not sure what to do at youth group if somebody comes that says that they're trans, or to the, the religious teacher, uh, CCD, or in a Catholic school, or, or to the priest or bishop? I, I know that's a, a big range, but yeah. um, uh, what, would, what would you say to us? Yeah, it's, it's always a challenge because there's there's a balance there because like, let's say you're a principal and in the second grade class, there's a boy that wants to dress up like a girl. Okay, well, let's see. I have a moral obligation to the other 29 students in the classroom to not confuse them in terms of what it means to be male and female. So you have an ethical obligation to uphold the truth of masculinity and femininity, especially to these impressionable young children. But then I also want to bring the gospel to this distressed child, knowing that if I'm just like, oh, no, you're not welcome in our school. Well, their parents could file a lawsuit against the school. And then we've got CNN on our doorstep and, you know, a big litigation problem. It's like it often feels like you're, you're juggling all these things. And so there's a website called personandidentity.com by the Ethics and Public Policy Center, the Women's Forum that, that have put this thing together. And, it, and it, it, has, it has policies, examples of what schools can put in their handbooks that if you choose to come to our school, just know that we do use the baptismal name of the children and their biological sex and their pronoun. We do not let boys into the girls' restrooms. And you don't have to go to our school. We're not going to force you to go to our school. But if you do want to go to our school, here is our handbook. Here are our policies. You sign it off before signing that tuition check. So it's not like you're pulling a fast one on the parents. It's their choice to send their kid to their school if they want their kid to learn Catholic anthropology. And so it's important for these schools, dioceses to have these you know, these policies in place, not just for your legal protection, but for the sake of the clarity of the educators. Cause they'll have these situations and the teacher goes to the principal, like what's our policy. And he's like, I don't have a policy. Let's ask the superintendent. Oh, I don't have a policy. Go ask the Bishop. Well, I don't have a policy. Like we, we need to be able to put things in place to know where we stand on these tough issues. And sometimes 
accommodations can and cannot be made. So where can't they be made? Well, let's say there's a boy wants to go on the high school youth group retreat, but he wants to be in the girl's cabin. Okay. It's not going to happen. Sorry. Like, no, you can't go in the girl's cabin. Well, I want to be in the girl's small group. Okay. Well, why don't we have co-ed small groups? Okay. Because I want you to be part of the retreat. Um, but I know that some of the girls might feel uncomfortable having a male in a girl's small group and they might not share as openly as otherwise. So let's just make the small groups co-ed. So right there, I mean, that's an accommodation that we can make. The kids can still get the gospel, still get a good retreat. And it'll make this person feel like, hey, we can meet you in the middle on some of these things. You know, let's work together on this. I can't give you carte blanche, everything you want, um, but I can understand that this could be a source of distress and, you know, maybe we can work it out this way together. And so it's not easy. I mean, it, there's so many different situations. Well, this kid wants to use a female confirmation name and this wants to do that. And, you know, there's a boy at the school that wants to be the homecoming queen. What's the principal supposed to do there without getting a mob on his hands with an angry student body? It's a lot of very specific, tough issues. And that's why at chastity.com slash gender, we've got a lot of websites and resources for the schools, parishes, and dioceses. And then the book, Male, Female, Other, we're sending that to every bishop in America right now. And then if we can raise enough funds, we're going to send it to all the pastors as well. Um, okay, so why, this is the last question. Uh, why do, you're saying a lot of great stuff and people are like, okay, but people must say, well, why do you care? So why do you do what you do? Why have you dedicated your life? Because I actually don't know your story, not that you have to get into yeah. that. But why have you dedicated your life to spreading the good news of the gospel, spreading the theology of the body. The name of your ministry is Chastity Project. Your website is chastity.com. Why do you do what you do? Well, it started back in high school, in college. I started leading high school retreats and the kids would open up to me about all the struggles they were going through. And a lot of it had to do with sexuality and chastity and just, they had no guidance in this issue. Their maybe families at home are falling apart. They're suffering a broken heart from some messed up sexual relationship with a guy who left them. And it's like, wow, there's, there's no formation here. And then I was also doing three years of sidewalk counseling at an abortion clinic about 45 minutes from our college. And I'd go there for three years and I just started feeling late. Like, why am I meeting this woman and she's having an abortion in 45 minutes? Why couldn't I have met her when she was 15? Because maybe if she'd learned about chastity then, she never would have dated this guy to begin with and be in this difficult situation today. So I felt like I was kind of throwing sandbags on the banks of a flooded river when there's a dam that's broken a quarter mile upstream. But everybody's obsessing over the supply of abortion but nobody's dealing with the demand for it, which is unchastity. And so I started learning Pope John Paul II's love and responsibility, sharing with the young people, and the lights would just go on and you'd see it in their eyes. And so after these talks, I tell the kids, if you want to hang out afterwards, I'll be here for you. I gave that invitation to high school in New York and the kids formed a line seven hours long. And they would come up and say, I've never said this to anyone before, but, and then it comes out, the abortion, the cutting, the molestation, the addiction, I mean, you name it, they just poured out. And I hear this stuff on a daily basis. I mean, just, you know, last week and the week before I met a guy, I said, yeah, I dated this girl and we kind of went too far and got pregnant. She had an abortion that we broke up and then I met another girl and things were good for a while. Then it just got too intense and I slept with her and then she had an abortion and he's like, after you're talking, I don't want to do this to girls anymore. Like I never wanted to do that to her in the first place, but here I am like 16 years old and fathered two kids that have been aborted. And like, I don't like the path my life is on. And these are the Catholic school kids, you know, with campus ministers and theology departments and mom and dad paying the tuition for the Catholic high school. It's just like, wow. So that's why I do this because I see what they're going through. And I meet the young people 
wrestling with gender dysphoria, making these potentially life-altering decisions. And you're talking to this boy, and, and he wants to cut off his genitals. And his dad is like, what the heck do I do? And, and you've got a moment there that could change the shape of this person's life. And so that's why I wanted to dive into this for the sake of love, not, not because I'm bigoted and hateful and want to control other people's lives. I just want them to have the truth and help them to understand the devil's not only the enemy of your soul, the devil is the enemy of human nature. And everything God joined, he wants to separate, whether it's husband and wife, body and soul, or your body and your identity, he wants to split that. And so here he's trying to get in and split people's bodies away from their identity. And then man won't mean anything, nor will husband or father or priest. Everything will be up for grabs. And the whole meaning of our bodies and thus the meaning of our lives will be erased. And so uh, ultimately the church has is not a bunch of condemnations. It's, it's the good news of the gospel. And it is good news that our bodies are not meaningless. They're meaningful. Amen. Amen. Where could people go? How can they support you? Um, uh, and I'm going to ask you, please, to pray about and to really consider uh, tithing, donating uh, to Jason's uh, ministry. Uh, I know sometimes I ask, hey, if you, you want to leave me a donation for the podcast to build the studio. No, I'm asking if you can please donate to uh, Jason's ministry. So what, what can we plug right now for people? Yeah, the website is chastity.com. You go to chastity.com slash donate or just hit the donate button. Um, what really helps is when people just make a, a, a tithe. They're like, hey, I'll, I'll give 10 bucks a month. And they just sign up, become a recurring giver. You just kind of set it and forget it. But the more people that join that group of givers for us, we can really gauge, hey, we've got enough this month to give away this many books. Because every assembly I do, we give away all the books for free to the high school kids. And we never really have enough. They all get cleaned out. The kids are, I didn't get my commitment card. I didn't get my chastity book or my book on how to stop looking at porn. And so the more donors support that we can get, you know, the, the more stuff we can give away. You can make a one-time gift. You could donate your estate or your will or, you know, your children's college tuition, whatever you want, big or small, we'll take it and use it to help young people discover God's plan for life. And you truly are. That That is what you're doing. So please check it out. I will leave uh, his website, uh, the link uh, for his book, everything on the show notes. Uh, Jason, uh, I'm a priest in the Archdiocese of Newark. If there's anything that I could do here uh, to help your ministry in any which way, shape, or form, uh, please let me know. Uh, so uh, I'm going to sign off, and then I'll, I'll say goodbye to you. But thank you for being here. It means a lot. The book is Male, Female, Other, A Catholic Guide to Understanding Gender by Jason Everett. It is one of the most, I personally think, the most important book that we should read right this is coming from somebody that doesn't read but it is one of the most important books that everyone in our world should read right now and i pray to god that every single uh, american uh gets a hands on this book so jason Everett, thanks for being here very powerful uh god bless you and we'll see you next week no well, thank you and at chastity.com people can get them for like six dollars a piece in bulk because the idea is just to give them away and if people don't have the funds to get the book they can just go to chastity missionaries of chastity.com and uh we'll donate them to you say like like i want 100 free books to give away in my school we'll just donate them to you so that's at missionaries of chastity.com or you can get the book in bulk at chastity.com but, but father um god bless you thank you for having me on today Absolutely. And when I got this book in the mail, it, it was so beautiful. There was like a prayer say, we pray for everybody who buys a book and this book was prepared for, and it had, you know, somebody's name on it. I was like, wow, this is so, like, this is really a ministry. This isn't a business. This is like a ministry, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, great. All right. God bless. Father. Yeah.